Welcome back to the Admissions Uncovered podcast. We are the college admissions podcast for the students, by the students. Today, I'm joined by a special guest. Her name is Swathi, and we met over at Reddit's Applying to College subreddit, as a lot of our guests in the past few weeks have been. Swathi, I think, is a, a high school senior right now, or a rising high school senior, and is about to go through the college admissions process. So, Swathi... Nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, why don't you introduce yourselves to, to our listeners? Uh, my name is Swati, and I am a senior at a large high school in Texas. Um, oh, really? You're from yeah, Texas? Yeah, I'm from Texas. <laughs> hey, I'm from Dallas. That's awesome. Me too. Small world. So apparently we're from the same city in Dallas, too, um, <laughs> which is really crazy. Um, all right. But, you know... One thing I like talking to, you know, high school seniors about is what they're thinking and and what they're feeling right now, because I think I remember, but I don't really have a detailed memory. I just know it was just like a bunch of stress. So so what do you think you're most worried about right now about college admissions? Um, Right now for college admissions, I'm kind of worried about starting my essay and I don't really know what to talk about since I've done a lot of journalism related extracurriculars, but I'm planning on majoring as a um, going into pre-med, probably public health. Um, So I'm a little worried that those two kind of don't match up. I think sometimes you might see that the connections are clear. The the connections might be, you know, initially very, very clear, but they still kind of make sense. Okay. Right. So, So for instance, like one story you might tell is part of public health is informing the public about health issues okay. I guess like I don't I don't know anything about pu- public health but I'm assuming that part of it is like telling people to wash their hands and if there's like an infectious disease what do you do how to prevent the spread of it right, right? Um, and that type of communication seems like something you might get from from journalism okay um I actually had an internship at Dallas Morning News um in which I was covering a story on homelessness and I talked to the CEO at a local shelter uh, and what I, That's awesome. Yeah, and what I found out is that there are a lot of places in Dallas that really require um, meal plans, and there are people that are struggling to get off the streets. So I'm just trying to think of something that I could do for them while also juggling uh, all my school issues and just, you know, homework, just piles of homework and uh, trying to work through that. Of course, yeah. Uh, I, I, I did a little bit of work with a nonprofit here called City House. It's a nonprofit that works to fight youth homelessness. Okay. Um, this is this is very strange, but you know, obviously our area, Collin County, is pretty affluent on average. We are literally the most affluent county in all of Texas. It's true, yeah. <laughs> I think or, or like one of the top most affluent, like top five at the very least. But we're also number one for youth homelessness. Okay. Which is crazy right. right like richest suburb highest youth homelessness who would have thought i i certainly didn't um but that's a really great organization doing some good work that that you might consider checking out okay um but definitely like i definitely understand the stress of trying to juggle all these different things so so how do you think you're managing it right now i mean it's the summer right now so you don't have school so i guess i'm guessing you have a little little bit of a break at least uh yes i am i'm trying to relax for the first couple weeks i was relaxing a little bit but then i jumped right back into uh interning and uh looking for research opportunities i'm trying to continue a science fair project that i did last year and it's 
related to autism and deals with uh, speech therapy. Uh, so I'm sure that's a lot of work. And I'm sure, you know, school is a lot of work, especially, you know, knowing the reputation of your high school and generally, you know, the schools in your district. How do you manage to juggle it all? Do you do you have some advice for, for other seniors who are trying to do a lot of different things at the same time? I would say to use time blocking. That's one of the biggest productivity strategies that I could recommend. Uh, what I do is, is that I plan out my week every Sunday and... Uh, I try to make sure I have enough time to work on my extracurriculars as well as schoolwork. So I'll start by working on math homework, but then I'll switch gears and do something related to my science fair project. Yeah, I think that's a really smart idea. You know, the one thing that gets thrown around a lot of, a lot of like productivity blogs and, and podcasts is, is how everybody complains about meetings and people who actually work nine to five jobs. And they're always like, I'm always in meetings. I have no time to actually do work. And I think one thing that time blocking lets you do is it actually lets you set aside a big chunk of time that you're dedicated to focusing in on something rather than spending, you know, like an hour on this. And then you have like a 30 minute thing to do. Then you have an hour on this, but then you have a 30 minute phone call with, with somebody else or a 30 minute, you know, dinner with family and things like that. So I do think that kind of blocking out big chunks of time for yourself and preserving that time just for work can be a really good time to just like focus in on something. Right. I completely agree. Uh, that's one of the biggest issues right now, just having uh, enough time to focus on things that really matter to you. And I feel like in the last couple of years, I've been growing, like I've been really distant with my family because I'm just trying to focus on college apps and like there's just so much stress yeah. around that. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is really hard, especially, you know, I mean, you know what is about to happen. Right. right? Fall of senior year is a lot of essays, a lot of writing applications on top of the things that you have going on at school and of course the extracurriculars you have and then there are all these senior activities. Right. Um, that sometimes happen mainly in the spring, but sometimes even in the fall. So do you think you're going to keep doing everything going into the fall? Or do you think you're going to have to drop something? Uh, I think I will keep doing everything. I'm actually in orchestra right now. So uh, oh, okay. What do you play? I play the cello. Nice. I played the viola. That's pretty cool. Uh, so I have a leadership position in that. And uh, I also am in Spanish. So I have the Spanish club. So I direct that. Uh, I think I will continue doing these projects, just not for college apps, but just because I want to do something meaningful with my time. No, yeah, I, that that definitely makes sense. Um, I hate being bored, so <laughs> I really did fill up high school with a lot of things. But I remember when I got to my senior year, especially when I realized I have to write the 650 word common app. And I started with this really scary white blank word document. And I realized I also had to write all these different supplements, even for just one school that I was applying to early. I realized that I had to get rid of something because I knew that I had this other thing to do. So I had to give up something to do the more important thing about college admissions. So I actually ended up um, drop. I still did orchestra. I was still technically in the class, but I wasn't as involved with orchestra as I was in the past. Uh, and even debate, I really focus. I one of my biggest things in high school was debate. I love debate. I did it, you know, since freshman year. I went to tournaments almost every weekend, sophomore and junior year. But senior year, I realized I just couldn't spend every single Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sunday, at some random high school in a suit 
anymore. I had to type up essays and, and think about all these other things. So I ended up just choosing the most important tournaments to go to. So if you had to make some choices, how do you how do you think you'd make that decision? Uh, I would probably uh, take out Spanish and I would just keep orchestra mm-hmm. and um, my science fair commitment. Um, but honestly, I feel like as the, the year begins, um, I will be pretty overwhelmed by all of those things together, and I might just drop orchestra too. <laughs> yeah. Do you think you feel the pressure to keep doing everything for college admissions, or, or do you genuinely think like you want to do all these things because... Um, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, I feel like a lot of people feel the stress to keep doing a lot of things. And sometimes when you add on the need to actually write out applications, it it just tends to be a lot. I feel like when you're doing college apps, it can be hard to prioritize what you were really interested in and just things that would be considered resume fillers. So I would say uh, to prioritize your like top five and like pick the things that you are truly passionate about instead of just worrying about how colleges will view them. Yeah. And you know, that might even be the better strategy to get colleges to like your extracurriculars is to focus in on the ones you actually like because, you know, maybe this is too... Maybe what I'm about to say is too cliche, but I feel like the best essays come from when you actually enjoy doing something. And I think a big part of the importance of extracurricular activities and admissions is writing essays about them. I totally agree. I feel like being just an interesting person in general and finding things, uh, exploring, thinking, and exposing yourself to things that interest you may be the way to go just to... um, find things that you are true you truly care about and you want to do in the future one other question i wanted to ask is um obviously you're taking some ap classes what are the ap classes like at your school how how many hours of schoolwork do you think you have to do because i think there tends to be this thing among high school students which is that ap classes are really hard everywhere but for me i had a lot of kind of joke ap classes too and i don't know if that's that's the thing at your school uh i would say at my school I've taken a lot of the more rigorous ones, so there is definitely mm-hmm. a bigger time commitment associated with them. Uh, for instance, I took AP Biology last year, um, and mm. that definitely took a huge chunk of my time uh, every day, maybe like two hours just take, taking notes and reviewing lecture slides. Wow. Um, but for other schools, I'm sure it is different, and I think AP Biology is like different uh, in other places, but... In my school, it was uh, lab heavy, and there was a lot of homework with labs and making lab reports. So I kind of had an experience that would be closer to maybe an introduction uh, to biology college class. Yeah, I think there is a lot of variety in the rigor of of AP classes because I definitely did not. I did some labs, I think, in, um, in, in AP bio, but I definitely didn't do that many. And I remember the lab reports being these kind of like fill in the blank things like they our teacher gave us like these note sheets basically where we just have to fill in our data and like write a conclusion statement. So it was not that difficult for me. (laughs) Um, So I guess that's always interesting to hear how how things are different. What do you think about AP classes and AP curriculum? Like I'm sure you've talked to people from other schools, you know, people from other schools. Do you think it is really that consistent? Uh, I don't think so. I think it varies depending on your teacher, especially for something like biology or even like U.S. history. Um, It depends on how much your teacher is really invested into the subject. 
For example, uh, my European history teacher, uh, he actually worked in Europe for a couple of years and he really enjoyed talking about the Holocaust. So that's something that we discussed a lot and we focused more time on that. Um, so I, I really think it depends all on your, your teacher and like what they're interested in and how much they're willing to put into the class. Yeah. And I think that's a smart way of thinking about, you know, how to juggle things, which is think about which classes you actually do need to study for. I, I remember a lot of people just studying for everything right. in high school because that's kind of like what you've been taught to do. But at some point, you know that you're probably going to be fine on the classes that you're strong in and you're probably not going to be fine in the classes that, that you're weak in, right? So I think prioritizing classes that you're weaker in is also something that can hopefully save you some time. Exactly. Um, I feel like for me, I'm stronger in math and science. So I had to spend a little more time working on Spanish or some other things. Um, that way I could just continue in that class and maintain that um, A average and keep my GPA up. Uh, especially yeah. with all of the extracurriculars I had going on junior year, it was honestly very difficult to keep up with everything but i found like the best way is productivity strategies and allocating more time to things that i was kind of uncomfortable with and that's something that i decided to do senior year i tried to pick classes that would push me and encourage me to keep going no i i was just gonna ask you know what what were some of those classes that that you took that were a little bit out of your comfort zone uh one of the classes i took that was out of my comfort zone was like ap spanish four uh, most people just take mm. Spanish. Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> they just take Spanish for the um, foreign language credit that some colleges require. So they do like two or three years, but I decided to keep going like four to five years. Um, and taking that class was definitely an eye opener because I realized that I wasn't as good at Spanish as I thought I was, but I was able to um, <laughs> develop my language skills. And um, I'm actually going to Spain next year with my class. So I'll be able to like put those into practice. Now, do you think that class took up a little bit more time than, than say maybe like your, your calculus class or your science classes? Uh, yes. I would say just because of the rigor of the class and having a teacher who really pushed me, uh, took up a lot more time than I initially expected. Um, especially because it's Spanish. So there's a, like a writing aspect, a speaking portion, and there's also a multiple choice, which is crazy. Like I remember going into the AP exam, just totally bewildered. Um, having everything in a different language is like very disorienting at times. Yeah, and I remember the listening section of that test too. And you're, you're in a room filled with other people all speaking into microphones at the same time. So you can't even really hear yourself think. You're, you're just like, you have to try to tune out the person sitting two feet away from you. Exactly. It can be really hard to just do your own thing and like remember what you were taught because there's just so many uh, things in the curriculum that you could talk about, especially in the listening portions. Like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> no, definitely. Um, I, I, I have flashbacks to that test and it's never good. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you have any tips, um, uh, additional tips for anybody who might be in a similar boat, like taking classes that they aren't that good at, but, but still very concerned, obviously about, about making sure their GPA is up. Do you have any tips about doing well in the class that you generally don't do well in? Um, I would say maybe spend more time in that class to like just allocate a couple of hours every week looking over it and maybe talking to your teacher so she could probably give you, um, some tips on how you could improve. Um, but I would say the best thing to do is just 
take a bunch of classes that you wouldn't see yourself taking at the beginning of the year and then maybe drop a couple of them and keep the ones that you were truly interested in. So after a couple of weeks of lectures and notes, you can get a feel of what the class is really like. So that's interesting. Does your school allow you to try out classes for the first couple of weeks and then drop uh, them? I feel like that's my like strategy. They do. After two weeks, you're allowed to uh, drop certain AP classes and maybe go to a lower level or completely switch classes altogether. Oh, that's really cool. Um, that's that's definitely something very college-like about your school because almost every college I have have talked to people at or, or been to or um, like thought about all have the the type of like what they call ad drop period. And so the first two weeks are what they call like the shopping window where you get to try try out any class, sit in and on classes and make any changes to your schedule. So uh, that's really cool that your high school has that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's it's it was started basically for um, sports recruiters so they could find people that have started the school year but are still interested in playing maybe on the basketball team or joining cross country. Oh. But people, it kind of expanded <laughs> to kids that were really interested in trying out maybe uh, AP research or like very just kind of underrated AP classes that you wouldn't normally take. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think so AP research is that the capstone diploma thing, right? You start with seminar and then you do AP research. Yeah, I personally haven't taken it, but I was super interested in it. It's basically just um, student guided. So you make your own research project and then you would present it later on in the year to your teacher. And I find that very interesting because I've always wanted a place to do research and I, I could only do it outside of school. So maybe taking that class would help me with my research endeavors. Yeah, I think I, I took seminar. I didn't take research uh, because I took seminar my senior year in the general track as you take seminar in junior year and, and research in senior right. year. But the thing I loved about that class is basically you just got to do your own thing. <laughs> like whatever you were interested in, you would just do that research and, and write stuff up. And so it ended up being a pretty easy class because as long as you were doing the research you wanted to, you know, you were good. Right. Um, okay, so um, I think that's really good stuff about, you know, how to juggle things at school, how to juggle AP classes. I know one thing that you mentioned that was also troubling you about admissions was, you know, the stuff going on from that Harvard lawsuit and the information we got from that. So I guess to, to summarize a little bit, um, obviously it's, it's very complicated, but I think the big headline is that Harvard was on average rating Asian American and Asian applicants with a lower personality score than than other racial groups and like anything where you see differences on racial groups it's never anything good it's always something to be skeptical of um, and so so what do you think about that and, and how is that making you feel as you go into college admissions i'm kind of nervous about interviews and having someone that has a bias towards asian americans so it makes me feel a little ner nerve-wracking but it is kind of an opportunity to grow and to show them that um, Asian Americans are not going to back down and we're always going to be here and keep trying for top colleges. So I think it's kind of a learning experience for everyone involved and it can probably show other colleges that they shouldn't maybe uh, have some make some assumptions based on race. Yeah, the the kind of weird thing is that a lot of the interviewers actually say these Asian American applicants are great they're super personable. But I think I read somewhere that what happens is the admissions officers are actually going in and kind of disregarding the interviewer's advice to kind of lower that personality score. So 
it's not even that like you do a good interview and it turns out well it's also that admissions officers seem to be fiddling with the numbers on the back end a little bit uh yeah i totally agree i feel like admissions officers kind of they could probably ignore your interview altogether and just be so focused on the Asian American part that they disregard some of the things that you have to offer. Uh, so you could have a great interview with um, an AO, but still not yield any results and maybe get deferred or waitlisted from that particular college. Um, although I, I, I will say that I think in, I, I obviously think it's bad to rate Asian Americans lower, but in, in the broader conversation, what's happening with the lawsuit seems to be like a backhanded way of just getting rid of affirmative action in general, which I think is, well, I personally think affirmative action is good, but I also think the way of getting rid of it should not be through this backhanded way of using Asian Americans, because the really like bad part about this is that it's not an Asian American lawyer right. <laughs> doing this lawsuit. It's some white guy at a big, you know, white collar law firm in Houston that's being funded by a lot of right-wing money. So I'm a little bit concerned about the process of it. I definitely agree. I feel like there should be someone on the front lines just advocating for Asian Americans as an Asian American. Um, I feel like there are more um, activists who are youths um, in my area. I can't really relate to the idea of having less Asian Americans, though, Um, because my school um, is full of Asian Americans, especially in my community. Um, So I'm sure that somehow we could all like come together and really change the way that colleges are viewing our application, especially since um, in my high school, only a couple of Asian Americans were accepted to top schools. And I feel like it was due to some bias or stereotypes they may have had about our school. Yeah, it's really it's really hard to, to know what is happening with your application, right? Is it because they, you know, like, is it because of the personality score or, or is it because of some other thing? And so one thing I just would love colleges to do is just like give an explanation of what happened because they definitely have one unless admissions officers are just being kind of random and flippant about it, which I really hope they aren't. But if they have an explanation, they should give it. So we kind of have some closure about things. And, and so not everybody is, you know, sour graping and being like, ah, oh, it's just because I'm Asian that I didn't get in. Right. You know, I think the reason why you have people say that is just because there's, there's no, there, there's not another explanation that colleges are giving out. I completely agree. I feel like colleges uh, should definitely rethink the way that they are admitting Asian applicants. And I feel like it's the same for other unrepresented minorities like Latino Americans or Native Americans. For sure. And yeah, like, I don't think I'm certainly not an expert on the law of this or or even like the, the politics of affirmative action, but I am curious, how is this affecting your applications? Are are you thinking, you know, are do you think your application would be different if if the Harvard lawsuit and the information from it didn't come out? I think it would be kind of different. I feel like I've shifted the focus of my essays to personal growth and development versus going uh, to something related to my community and my culture. Um, I felt like before the Harvard admissions lawsuit, I would have talked about my culture and like my roots that I have uh, being an Asian American in America. So it's like very difficult for me. And I have some unique experiences as a first gen immig- immigrant. Um, but I feel like right. if I write about that now, it, I, I don't know, I feel like maybe admissions officers would potentially disregard me as an applicant. Yeah, like I, I definitely understand where you're coming from, but I really hate it. Right? Yeah, like, it's super unfair. Isn't 
it is super unfair. And, you know, if the point of an essay is to talk about who you are, it's kind of weird not to talk about the culture and the family and all, all, all the context that kind of shaped you into who you are. Yes, I feel like people who write about those, uh, who've written those essays in the past, it's kind of stopped now. And like, there's less about culture and more about what you can offer to the school and less about where your identity and where you come from. And those things are not as important anymore in your application, just based on people that are scared of being persecuted by the admissions process. You know, I do wonder, though, if it's really a matter of how you frame the, the what what you know your cultural background did to you because i can definitely imagine you know stereotypical asian american straight man interested in you know biology wanting to become a doctor and his essay is writing about how being an asian american made him study more right like that that seems to be a little bit too on the nose right. of the stereotype but you know, I don't know what you think about this, but but surely there's a way to talk about, you know, culture in a way that isn't so, like, you know, consistent with the stereotypes about it. Uh, I think there is a way, and I was planning on maybe writing one of my essays at least about how uh, my community helps in service projects. And we have this, this program called Care Kits in which we distribute hats, gloves, uh, toothpaste, razors, and other necessities to homeless people. And I feel like that's something, a community thing that we started on our own. Um, and that came through my Sunday school. Um, so being Asian American, I feel like that may be a plus, And that's something you could definitely talk about, like giving back to the to your community. Yeah. And, and I think what makes that type of story so special is also talking about how it's not just that y'all are doing these things. It's that there's something in a shared culture or, or shared values that kind of forces you to do it right that or not forces you but you know really push pushes and encourages can, encourages you to do it it's not just you doing a thing it's you doing it with a lot of people and, and in a community it definitely motivates me to know that i have my fellow peers like to support me and i have like this wide youth group that is ready for action and we can all count on each other and we've grown up with each other so we're very content with the values that we have and our personalities kind of match well together you know to me that's the type of story that's really good for a college essay or really good for a essay that is supposed to tell something about yourself because i really can't think of a way to talk about who i am without thinking about the fact that i'm asian that the fact that my parents are immigrants you know, the fact that I, where I grew up, how I grew up, those those types of, you know, background things. I completely agree. I feel like my parents are always telling me to respect my culture more and kind of just go back to my roots. Yeah. And I've only fully understood that like now, um, as an almost adult going into college, uh, I feel the need to suddenly go back to my community. So I hope that in college, I can find maybe like clubs or something where I can connect with other Asian Americans again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the great thing about all colleges, I won't say all colleges, but but most colleges and certainly the the big name schools is that there's always some like Asian American club, you know, there's there's always some like Chinese American club, Chinese culture club, you know, there's there's always some type of like, you know, right. Asian type type group <laughs> on campus or cultural club. Um, but yeah, I mean, so you know, to, to to wrap this up, I was wondering, you know, what do you think? Do you think that Obviously, I think I think we can both agree that some of this information coming out of the Harvard lawsuit is really disturbing. What do you think Harvard should do to fix it? 
Um, I think Harvard should try to, instead of backpedal, they should be more like welcoming of Asian American applicants and maybe have like more awareness for them and to not maybe disregard them. Like, for instance, if it was an Asian American computer science applicant, I feel like that's pretty common nowadays. So I feel like as we move forward, Harvard should maybe be more accepting and they should definitely own up to the mistakes they made in the past, but they could probably fix it by releasing a statement or uh, maybe explaining their decisions in the future. Yeah, I I really like that idea of something about being transparent and just being like, this is how we evaluate students and be very honest about we just rank them by a couple of scores and tell us what those scores are. I think that type of transparency can definitely go a long way. Uh, I felt like that would give us the closure that we really deserve because I feel like there are a lot of questions hanging over us right now, uh, especially for younger students, maybe like in middle school right now who are looking to apply to colleges and are worried that they'll be discriminated against based on their race. Would you ever be discouraged from applying to a place like Harvard because of this type of information? Uh, I think at one point I might have if I wasn't so firmly rooted in my culture. Maybe I would have strayed away from top colleges just because of my race. But now I feel like there is a backlash towards the lawsuits and I feel like I definitely can uh, maybe like fight against that bias. The one thing I'll, I'll say to kind of close us out on this is that you don't really have control over Harvard's admissions policy as much as we would like to. Yeah. We don't have the keys to Harvard Square. We, we don't know what's going on in admissions officers' minds. So the best thing we can do is just put in an application and see what happens. I completely agree. That's what I always say when everybody's like, I don't know if I'm going to get in. Yeah. Well, you're never going to know for sure unless you just throw in an application and, and see what happens. That's true. Well, thank you so much, Swathi, for coming on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, that was this week's episode of the Admissions Uncovered podcast. This is a weekly college admissions podcast. Now, I'm going to do something I usually do. I'm going to go plug our iTunes review. You can just just go, go to the App Store, just search Admissions Uncovered, or you might already be there if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, and, and give us a five-star rating because it actually does help us in search algorithms for whatever weird apple reason. And when we go up in search algorithms, more people find the podcast and more people listen, and it makes me happy, and hopefully they get some good advice too. So give us a five-star rating over on iTunes. But anyways, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.